Ugh, I'm not in the mood. Do we have to do this? Yes. Wait, are we recording? Okay, let's go. You're listening to The Allie Colbert Show. Colbert show. It's me, Allie Colbert. You guys were here. Happy New Year. A banging start to 2023 listening to the program. And you know what? Do me a favor right now. If you're listening, if you if this is your first time listening, if you've listened before, whatever it is, if you have not subscribed to the show, go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, wherever you're listening and hit follow or hit subscribe and start the year off by following and supporting the show you love and sharing it with a friend because that's how we keep the show alive and it means a lot to me. And to to share your gratitude for the show, this is what I'm asking for in return. And I could say something like, support queer artists, but I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say, I do this little show for you shits and for myself, so follow, okay? Follow the fucking show. Before we get into the episode, people are talking, people are going crazy about the Nepo baby conversation on social media by the way i don't like how the term nepo baby sounds when i say it maybe i'm maybe i'm sort of biting down on the syllables too hard maybe if i say nepo baby no it doesn't flow i just don't like it we need to i don't know why everyone's acting shocked and outraged that all of these young hollywood stars are related to other industry mavens Guys, are you just waking up to this is how everything works in the world. This is how everything works. Every single president is like the cousin of another fucking president and their like wife is like running. Do you see what I'm getting at? I don't need to finish the sentences because if you know, you know. If you get it, you don't. That's how we should start the year. If you get it, you get it. If you don't get it, you don't get it. And I was saying that before that became a fucking TikTok because we have get it and we have don't get it. And I can't explain it to you if you don't know if you don't know what it is and go back to season one of the fucking podcast. What I do take issue with is that I don't like when the Nepo babies, ugh, Nepo babies, we need to come up with a new word for them. I don't like when they, when one of them, I think it was Johnny Depp's kid, tweeted out being like, don't worry about me. Don't worry, worry about, you know, the daughters of lawyers that are really corrupt. Shut the fuck up, okay? Everyone's connected to everyone. Every, it's all fucking incestuous. Everyone's networking with everyone and sucking everyone's dick. Don't be surprised, all right? You shouldn't need a flow chart to walk you through this. You're either coming out a pussy or going into another one to climb a social ladder, okay? That's just how it is. So let's wise up to the game, folks. If they're a character on Emily in Paris, chances are their grandpa was a director on something, okay? That's just how it is. That's just how it is. I was so out of it when I recorded last week's intro that I went on and on about how I had no New Year's plans and I'm literally recording this from Hawaii. I blacked out an entire trip because I was so hungry on Chroma. Am I recommending Chroma? Sure. I'm, am I recommending being starving? No. Throw back to last week's episode. However, I did totally forget I, w- I had a trip coming up. This episode is the perfect episode to start the new year because I've wanted to have this guest on the show for a really long time. And I love, love, love her Instagram page. Her Instagram page is Dr. Dr not spell out doctor, Jana, Z-H-A-N-A. And it's an amazing page about relationship orientation, relationship sciences, which I find to be really interesting because I'm always focusing on sexual orientation and relationship orientation is a whole other thing that I'm sort of just waking up to. And I think like the world is kind of waking up to. 
So having her on the show was incredible. I'm excited for you to listen to it and just explore what we're talking about. She has this course, this Open Smarter course, where there are these quizzes and texts that you get to engage with in order to help figure out what your relationship orientation is. And we talk breakups versus, you know, de-escalating a relationship. She's just one of these people that has amazing language for things that I wished I had the language for. So it's a good one. Happy fucking new year, you guys. Thank you for tuning into the show. Thank you for supporting the show. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm not a Nepo baby, but my God, I hope my baby's a Nepo baby, which means I hope I become a wild, wild, abundant success so that all my little tatas sucking on my TTs get to have all the parts in Emily in Paris that they want. Cheers. Oh, and last thing, uh, I will be in New York City. I'm in New York City, I think, from like January 12th for like a week or two. I have a bunch of shows. I'm going to be on Black Cat in the Lower East Side. I'm going to be doing a show at City Winery. I have shows that are going to, I'm going to be posting in the next week. So go to my website, AllieColbert.com, and I have all my shows there if you're in New York and you want to see a live show. Okay. So for context, I found uh, your Instagram page, which I've talked about on the podcast, guys. I don't know what I've referred to it as, but probably just a great Instagram page that talks a lot about monogamy, non-monogamy, relationship orientation, sexuality. What is your handle on Instagram? Dr. Jana, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A. Okay, Dr. Jana. It's fantastic. I'm going to link it in my bio. I'll link it on the episode. But we were just talking as we sat down here because your page is one of the first pages and only pages I've seen that really addresses these topics in like a succinct, easily digestible manner. And also like very frank and kind of funny sometimes with you just like a caption being like, yeah, I like a gangbang. And everyone's in the co- everyone in the comments is like, would you would you fuck me? And you're like, send me a message and I'll consider it. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, honest. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's an amazing page. And, you know, this exploration of relationship orientation is something that I've arrived at. I think it feels late, but in reality, like most people, I mean, people older than me, people in my mother, father's generation, they don't do this exploration at all. At all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first exploration I was doing was sexuality. I was like, all right, something's up. I want to fuck women. You know, that was was the the first thing that was happening for me, and that's all I was focusing on. How old were you then? I always knew I was queer. I came out to my mom when I was seven. She said, you're not gay. Seven? Yeah. I was like, I'm a lesbian. Yeah, I'm gay, mom. Like, I've kissed my friends at school. She was like, you're not gay. Don't worry. That doesn't make you gay. Oh, okay. And she was, but she was right. It's it true. It doesn't. doesn't make me gay. And I honestly, I and think... it's not an indicator necessarily. We actually have a lot of research showing that early sex play kind of, or whatever. Yeah, the different kind of play and games that kids can do. Yeah. Um, pre-puberty uh-huh. is not indicative of their post-puberty sexual orientation so i mean in really? your case it ended up being that way that's but, so interesting yeah because kids when especially pre-puberty they're just sexually curious right and explorative and right. so they'll kiss or they'll want to like see other yeah. kids genitals yeah, or see what that. they can do with bodies and they are kind of indiscriminate when it comes to gender wow early on and then later on when the sex hormones kick in that's when some of those distinctions start to become more oh. at least uh, stable but right. of course for, for some se- people it does predict so for a second like i are- was like that's a relief i'm not gay and then i just remembered <laughs> no i'm gay and okay. it's okay but um yeah so that was so that was the first one that was my whole mm-hmm. you know and then i was in i felt a lot of shame about 
being gay. I didn't know how to come out. I didn't know what that looked like. I was like, there's no hot lesbians. You know, I just, there was just Rosie on television. And Ellen, how could I be gay? And by the way, I know I'm only 29, but when I was in high school, when I was in middle school, there were not lesbian identifying there no one was identifying as a lesbian that i went to school with it just wasn't the case i mean now even with like gen z it's just it's infinitely better in a span of like 15 years it's truly incredible so then i was like let me find a woman to make her my wife you know i'll just do what men do that'll be how i operate as a lesbian that made sense (laughs) to me you know and then what happened was every relationship i entered I either needed to open the relationship eventually or I cheated. Yeah. And Welcome to my world. You said it really perfectly in one of your posts where you said, you know, when you have a partner that doesn't want to open the relationship and you are looking to open the relationship, you're dealing with, I'm feeling quite restricted and you're probably going to feel jealous. And it's like, which, which is worse? And that's what I feel like a lot of people, that's how they think about their relationships. Can I do it? Can I just climb the mountain of monogamy Mm -hmm. and it's probably the wrong question that i'm asking (laughs) well can you do it many people can yeah whether what behaviors you engage in that's about impulse control to a great extent so do you have enough impulse control to not act on all of the impulses that you have to be non-monogamous and stick to it. And some people are good at that, manage to do it. And other people are not great at that and don't manage to do it. Like you in the past and myself in the past. I mean, that was my story as well from the very beginning. I mean, I wasn't queer. I was, well, I was, I was everything. I I was attracted to all genders and I was playing with all genders. And in all of my relationships, I could not stay monogamous. Like that monogamy piece just didn't make any sense. Right. I also clearly did not have great impulse control. But I decided that that was not something that I wanted to suppress, that living in that kind of restriction was just not the best life that I can have. And so that's the question is like, do you want to go through a lot of this effort that is required to keep your desires and impulses in check if those desires and impulses are quite strong? Yeah. Then it's going to lead to frustration, some level of dissatisfaction, resentment possibly over time towards your partner. And at times, maybe you're not going to manage to suppress and end up cheating. So those are all of the potential negatives of trying to do something that goes against your relationship orientation. Right, because what we were just talking about is basically these two orientations that we have. And the first one that people often Uh, end up grappling with is that sexual orientation piece like what are the sexes or genders of the people that we're attracted to and that's a very important question to answer for yourself yeah but that's not the only question that we need to answer then there's the okay what is my relationship orientation what type of relationship do I want to be in do I want monogamy do I want some type of non-monogamy do I actually not want a relationship like a long-term attachment-based relationship some people just want to be single and they might want to have casual partners or some hookups or some casual dating kind of partners but not actually have a serious long-term romantic relationship and then there are people who don't want anything who don't want either romantic relationships or 
sexual escapades right. and they just want to be celibate if they're asexual and aromantic, right? So there's a whole spectrum of relationship orientations that humans have and it's important to find, figure out what is yours mm -hmm. and then try to build a relationship that is as close to that as possible and hopefully with someone who either shares your relationship orientation or has an understanding that your orientation is different than theirs and you two work together to find some sort of a win-win scenario. Right. Okay, so however, by this logic, I would think... This is a guess. Maybe you have a statistic that says otherwise. I would imagine if I went up to most married men in America, mm -hmm. married monogamous men in America, and I said, listen, if you could cheat and get away with it, would you do it? I bet at least 75% of them would say 100% yes. <laughs> they would do it. However, I don't think that men a lot, and this is just from how I speak with married men, monogamous men, that their desire to sleep outside the relationship or whatever is reflective of the fact that these men are... I mean, but I would say then most men would say, I'm not monogamous. My relationship style is non-monogamous. <laughs> Do you know what I mean by how men often relate to sex and are saying they want to... They, that's just... But maybe that's just an outdated... Well, that is a stereotype that we have, that the majority of men are non-monogamous and they just want to fuck everything that moves. Isn't that a little true? There are more men who want to fuck everything that moves yeah. than there are women. Right. But... That is not the majority of men, if you can believe it. And we do okay. have we do have uh, scientific evidence for it. There are a number of different studies that have asked these questions. Yeah. And they find, for example, on these surveys of nationally representative samples of Americans that about 30, 40 percent of men say that their ideal relationship type would be some type of open. Mm hmm. Or that if they knew that it wouldn't harm, like we just did, we did a YouGov uh, organized survey, which is a nationally representative uh, panel of, of Americans that through Ashley Madison mm. uh, that asked people if you could be certain that it's not going to harm your you know, existing relationship. And this, these were all partnered Americans who had a long-term partner. So if you could be sure that it wouldn't harm your relationship, yeah. what would be your ideal kind of situation? And about 30%, somewhat more men, so like 35 to 25 men, women, said that some type of open would be their ideal. That's what they say, at least. Yeah. Now, is that... Do you buy that? I don't buy that it's that many. Yeah. I, what, because what we know from research is that this desire to be with other people is very much driven by, by our need for novelty. Mm, yeah. Our need for variety, for excitement, for risk. Right. And that is a trait that is very widely distributed in the population and it's fairly normally distributed. It's a bell curve. Mm -hmm. So some people, not many people, are very high, a few people are very low, and most people are somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Right. And so those who are very low, yeah, I think they would probably be happy with one pussy for the rest of their life, especially if it's good pussy that is a good match for them. Because right. that's the other thing. You know, yes. some people don't have a lot of need for novelty, but if they're partnered with someone who is just not a very good match for them sexually, mm -hmm. then they might want to seek something elsewhere because even these basic low-level kind of sexual novelty needs are not being met with their mm. partner. But if they have low sexual novelty needs and they happen to be partnered with someone who's a good match for them for you know, sexually, then yeah. But that's probably more like 20-ish percent right. of the population. Then you have another 30 or so mm -hmm. who are in that low-medium 
range on novelty. Right. And for them, you know, it's they could probably go either way. If mm-hmm. they're in a satisfying, sexually satisfying relationship that has other forms of novelty also incorporated, you know, some role play, some toys, some other like new positions, new locations, whatever, yeah. other ways of bringing novelty, then, you know, they could probably be happy long-term in that monogamy, especially if you then also don't have to deal with all the complexity right. of non-monogamy. Because, right, there's some trade-offs there. There is definitely more complexity that you need to deal with if you're going to go down the non-monogamous path. And so the math may work out for them well. But long-term, like really long-term, if we're talking 20, 30, 40 years with someone, and especially if that sexual relationship is not really great as time goes on, then I think these people are probably lying to themselves to some extent. Yeah. And... Or at least some of them. Right. And they will eventually either cheat on their partners or end up doing serial monogamy. You know, jumping from one relationship to the next, partially because also the sexual component was not the best in the previous one. So they're going for the next one. Do you think that, well, even before I say this, I mean, what are the relationship orientations? Because I know we're talking about monogamy. Is there a difference between non-monogamy and polyamory? Yes, right? Yeah, so non-monogamy is an umbrella term for kind of all the different types of anything that is not monogamy. There are a lot of different, you know, specific types of non-monogamous relationships, but they all, for the most part, fall under two different main types. Mm -hmm. One is what I call open monogamy, which is wanting and having a one serious committed romantic relationship, so mm-hmm. one pair bond, one mm-hmm. attachment bond, mm-hmm. like you're married to one person or you're living together in, in that emotionally attached kind of way. Mm-hmm. And then there is some sexual openness on the side, right? Yeah. So whether that's super, super casual, like one night stand with, with people or you just go to play parties and do the sport fucking that happens at play mm-hmm. parties. Or you have more of like casual dates with other people that you might see on a somewhat ongoing basis but it's not this like emotionally committed you're not their attachment partner right uh-huh. you're not there to care for them they take care of them or they take care of you and so on so that's one version mm-hmm. and I think some people are much more inclined toward that the people who want especially a lot of security in mm-hmm. their relationships but also want some level of that exploration and adventurousness and novelty yeah then the other form is polyamory mm-hmm. which is multiple serious romantic relationships whether or not you also add some casual partners on the side but once you expand that romantic component to include multiple people that then changes the your wife gets mad well your (laughs) wife might get a lot more mad than if you just had sex with another person right and that is much more threatening to an ongoing relationship than you know just sex because it's much more meaningful and it also takes a lot more energy and bandwidth if if feelings get caught right Right. feelings get caught you often lose your head and you forget about the existing relationship and what the responsibilities there might be or what um, you know the, the filling and keeping your your existing partner's love buckets full right is much harder to do when you're romantic energy is kind of taken up by another person and so that requires a lot more juggling and skill and yeah I mean it, it sounds like it would be a huge amount of work an enormous amount of work it is it doesn't sound like it would be easier by any stretch of the imagination no 
you know? No. And when we've asked in surveys, and we did another survey with um, Ashley Madison, again, using YouGov for a nationally representative sample, Mm -hmm. that we did that like nine months ago at the beginning of 2022 and asked people, what would be your ideal relationship type? Asking these different options, giving them the monogamy option, open monogamy, polyamory, singledom, and celibacy. Yeah. And twice as many people mm-hmm. chose open monogamy as the polyamory. So amongst those who are considering some type of non-monogamy, there's twice as many people who are inclined to do the open monogamy version of it versus the polyamory version of it because it is much easier and much less threatening yeah. to the existing relationship. I mean, it sounds so interesting. I just, my one thing about that is like, I would like to do it and have everyone I'm dating only date me. Oh. <laughs> I mean, is that really, that, that's not a unique thought. I mean, that's, a, no. that's of course how I would feel. I feel like I want to date a bunch of people and I want them to be loyal to me mm-hmm. and to only date me. And You want a harem. I want a harem. And it's, you know, I'm not the first man to want that. But, no. but I, I, I struggle with when I become sort of lazy in a relationship or maybe like just a little, like when, when sex or whatever, when relationship plateaus and I have a desire to open the relationship and explore, what happens is I, I, I get really and this is in my past relationships, I get really excited about the idea of opening the relationship. By the way, I think I open it under false pretenses in the past. I'll open it and be like, I just want to fuck people. Okay. But then what ends up happening is I'm like, no, I actually, I'm just, this is my way of dovetailing into a new relationship. I start having feelings. I, Which I think is a super common way of fucking around nowadays is people are like, oh, I'm poly. It's like, no, you're just cheating tons and tons. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) There's a lot of that going on for sure. People are just like, oh, I want to be open. It's like, no, you're like, you're just violating a different agreement. You're not like woke. You know what I mean? So anyway, I'll be like, I want to open the relationship. And then what happens is the first person I really start to like, it's amazing how my, my original thought of my thesis of let me be open is now like mine, 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 mine. I don't want you (laughs) to sleep with anyone else. I only want to sleep with you. And then I get tired of it. Is this like, don't you find this to be like, isn't this human? Don't you go through this too? (laughs) I don't really have a possessive streak in me. And you don't I, have that at all? No, not really. I I get turned on by my partners being with other people sexually. You really have... Compersion. You've taught me this word <laughs> on your page. Yeah. Uh, it would it would be harder. So I'm not really poly okay. myself. I'm more in the open monogamy okay. uh, range. So I get really turned on by like, seeing my partner having sex with other people or thinking about my partner having sex with other people. Especially if I feel like, like uh, they, they're, they're, they love me, they're a good partner to me, like our bond is strong. Yeah. Uh, that feels, yeah, I just love seeing that and thinking of it. And there are these kind of different responses to our partners being with other people, right? Some people are turned on by the idea. Some people seem unfazed. Mm-hmm. They're not that many, but there are some people who are kind of unfazed. That's and then, a little strange to be unfazed. Yeah. Totally unfazed? Yeah. These guys are low on the bell curve. Unclear, but yes, they are <laughs> low. And then, yeah, some many people are possessive. That yeah. The reaction is, I don't want anyone else. Throughout history, the people who could get away with having harems had yeah. harems, obviously. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. But you know, now relationship orientation <laughs> is harem. <laughs> I mean, amazing. if you can get away with it, more power to you. I don't you, think I can, but, but I, it in does today's speak world, to me. I understand that. I yeah. understand that. And it does speak to a lot of people. Yeah. But we live in a world where 
egalitarian values are generally the accepted norm. All right. And so you might have to, if you want that for yourself, you might have to give that right, right no, uh, to other that. people. No, I see that. And I would, I would learn to tolerate what I could tolerate. Right. You know, right. if it was a, if it was a trade that felt like I could handle it. But I, I was saying this before we started recording. I wonder how much of like emotional. I don't want to call them issues, just like how much of our emotionality that's like not developed or we haven't sort of sussed through is like becoming a part of relationship orientation where I'm like, I'm not monogamous. And it's like, no, you have commitment issues, Greg. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, where do you draw that line? So it's often hard to know because these two things can be kind of in opposition with each other and people think of them as in opposition uh, to each other. And wanting to be open can sometimes be a product of not wanting to commit right that said these are two separate things Mm -hmm. our need and desire for committed long-term loving stable secure relationships and our need for exploration you know sexual novelty variety and all that right people some people are you know high on both Mm mm-hmm some people are low on both. Some people are high on one, low on the other. So you can be someone who really likes to commit, likes to have that all of the stuff that goes with a long-term relationship. Yeah. The closeness, the dependability, the security, the, the trust, money. the intimacy, the money. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, financial security is yeah. part of that for sure. Yeah. And at the same time, you also might have a high need for novelty and adventure. Right. And that is a lot of people actually, because most people, in fact, have high need for security. Mm-hmm. Humans are a social species, right? From the moment we're born, we depend on someone to survive. Yeah. Right? If there's no adult to take care of us for the first few years of our lives, we would be dead. Right. So humans are just relational creatures. Mm-hmm. We need, even as we get older, we need other people to rely on and depend on, and they depend on us. So of course, that's a range, and some people are going to be low on that as well, and some people are going to be in the medium range. But most of us are relatively high on that need. So yeah. we do want that security and stability that comes from committed relationships. Mm-hmm. But then some of us are on that high end of the exploration spectrum. And in addition to that security and stability, we also want the excitement and the adventure. So it's terrible. Or you can be someone who is low on that commitment. Right. and be high on the exploration but right. they're they're separate they're independent dimensions yeah. right so your your high need for novelty and, and excitement could be paired up either with you know, high degree of need for security and commitment or low degree of security and commitment and you have to decide which one it is i know but just and because i will by the want, end of this episode <laughs> but just because you want to fuck other people yeah that doesn't mean that you don't also want to commit those two right. are not mutually exclusive right Right. And I mean, what do you what do people do when their relationship orientation is different than their partners? What is the answer to that? I mean, that's that's a question, you know, that is a big question because a lot of people are in those kinds of relationships and you really have three main options. Mm -hmm. One person sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's say you want to explore your partner doesn't want to explore. So you want open monogamy. She wants monogamy. right? Right then either you're going to sacrifice your need for exploration and say, okay, we'll do monogamy. I will suppress my needs. Mm -hmm. Or she's going to say, okay, I don't really want to be non-monogamous, but I'll I'll do it for you. Mm -hmm. And so she's going to kind of put herself in these situations where she's going to go and do things so that 
so you can be at your level so that's one option mm-hmm. the other option is to meet in the middle mm-hmm. somehow so like maybe if you want like a fully fully open relationship you want to see people i don't know once a week or all the time or whatever and she doesn't want anything at all then maybe you settle on okay maybe we'll have a threesome once every six months mm-hmm. or once a year mm-hmm. uh, it'll be your birthday present yeah, yeah, you know great. once a year we can have a threesome uh-huh. or something like that so right. you find some kind of in-between point mm-hmm. between what your ideal would be and what her ideal would be okay neither of those are ideal right. scenarios i don't really sound so happily workable yeah some people make them work mm-hmm. but the ideal solution for people who are with the in these uh, relation, these different relationship orientation, mixed relationship orientation couples is to have a mixed type relationship. So you're open and she's not. Mm-hmm. So you get to do what you want to do mm-hmm. and she gets to do what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. So you have a mo- mono open relationship. Mono open. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've never if heard she that can term. Take it. If she can take it. Yeah. This is really the, yeah, this is the root of the harem philosophy is the mono open i -hmm. see a lot of i see a lot of couples out here in mono open relationships and there's usually a different power imbalance somewhere else in the relationship too where i Mm -hmm. found a lot of really wealthy men who are willing to basically say to the women that they're dating i'm going to give you this lifestyle and in exchange i get to sleep with people and you get to be my wife and you live in malibu and you have four kids Mm -hmm. and you have a chef and i can fuck whoever i want yep that happens now that has happened throughout history we have 12,000 years of patriarchy that has created the 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 circumstances where that was possible right and in fact throughout those 12,000 years of patriarchal patriarchal societies that we've had all over the world both the more modern kind of western cultures and the more indigenous cultures throughout the world about 75 Mm percent of i love it indigenous cultures had polygyny had allowed polygyny which is a ma- ma- one man marrying multiple wives mm-hmm. they, they did not have polyandry mm-hmm. with the wife having multiple husbands right only the man were allowed to have multiple wives now not everybody not all men in these societies could afford multiple wives only the ones who could afford them right got the multiple wives right but basically so this is still going on in beverly hills still people. going on yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah and then you have a var- variation on that topic on that theme that happens with couples again with this very uneven kind of uh, financial power differential that exists between men and women where the couples are open mm-hmm. but they can only play with women that drives me up a fucking wall i know me too that I don't know what pisses me off more, whether it's the wife cannot do anything with anyone at all and yeah. he gets to fuck whoever he wants or that they're open and they can play with women that but might she be doesn't worse. get any other dick. I <laughs> fucking hate that because it's like, it's it, not only are, is it like, you know that he derives some pleasure from the idea of thinking about her with women, which right. pisses me the fuck <laughs> off that like her exploration is like gets to be a little kink for him. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate that. Mm-hmm. But also it's saying women, that's not real. Women aren't a real threat. Yeah, this, right. Exactly. Th- you know, this isn't a, this doesn't have integrity. These relationships, these are sort of 
you know, shadows, glimmers of something sexual. And that fucking drives me up a fucking wall. And to all you men out there that are saying your <laughs> wives can only fuck around with women, they're going to fuck around with me and I'm going to steal them. <laughs> you know what I tell, I, what I tell those, those people is like, I hope she's cheating on you. Yeah. Like, I hope she is getting dick, but you don't know about it. I really hope so. And you know what? That is what happens a lot of the time. So I sure hope so. I like what you I know. I like what you posted recently about the difference between a breakup and de-escalating mm. the relationship, mm-hmm. um, which I'd never heard about before. Put mm. in those and you just have great language for everything. <laughs> you really do. So can you share what, what you were talking about on your on your Instagram? Sure. I mean, obviously, everyone knows what a breakup is. Yes. You end a relationship and yeah. you no longer have any kind of sexual or romantic contact with this person even though in some cases you might have platonic friendship right that that uh, right. arises after the breakup but there's also this idea of de-escalating a relationship that may have been you know fully committed romantic and sexual uh, relationship that a primary partner of sorts whether it was you know legally on paper or or not but then if that doesn't work out at that level of intertwinedness mm-hmm. if you will yeah then maybe there is some lower level of intertwinedness that can work. Maybe we can become fuck buddies or friends with benefits or, you know, something like that or occasional lovers who don't share as many things or don't spend as much time together as we used to before because we're not a good match for a long-term partnership, but maybe we're a good match for, you know, something like a friends with benefits. Right. And I would imagine that having a, a de-escalation conversation is not necessarily easier than a breakup. Hey, I want to de-escalate us to, uh, I know we're married, but I want to de-escalate <laughs> us to fuck buddies. However, what I do like about it is I just like that as a society, we're moving away from things being so fucking black and white. And, you know, this is right, this is wrong, we're on, we're off. And just like the openness of like creating something that works for you. Yeah, absolutely. Which is very liberating. It sounds ter- it sounds messy. This sounds really difficult. I don't imagine it would be really easy to de-escalate into friends. It is, it is hard to do for a lot of people. And it all depends on where are the two people at in terms of their emotions. Like, do they... If one person really, really wants to maintain the relationship as is and the other person wants to de-escalate, that is usually pretty hard. Yeah, I would imagine that's not easy. Yeah, but if both people are kind of realizing, you know what, this is really not quite working out as a boyfriend-girlfriend or, you know, that level of very serious relationship, we're just fighting a lot or we have a lot of disagreements about different things and we're just not a good match and both people are realizing that, but we have great sex. Right. So why not keep the sex? Right. On a somewhat less uh, regular level, maybe every couple of weeks we can, uh, and maybe we like cuddling and we like the affection, uh, for for example. And so, yeah, why not every couple of weeks have a night together where we have great sex, we have affection, we have dinner, catch up, and then that's it. Yeah, be my, you could be my girlfriend, you know, once every three weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> girlfriend experience every three weeks. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I was curious what you thought about, I'm jumping around a bit now, but um, I was curious about what you thought about people experiencing low sex drive on SSRIs, which I think has become like a silent epidemic of a lot of people, specifically women that have written into my show and just my friends, just women saying, I don't really want to fuck, but I don't want to be depressed. So I'm going to take Zoloft and not feel my clit anymore. Yeah. And I don't know what, where you go from there. 
Oh, that's such a hard situation to be in. Obviously, you want to treat the depression because being depressed is no fun. And then you don't want to have sex anyway if you're depressed. And right. you don't want to do many other things that you otherwise would want to be doing. Yeah. But they do have this awful side effect. And it's a pretty consistent side effect that um, many, most people on SSRIs report the lower sex drive, the lower arousability too. So it's not just the desire to have sex, but also, as you said, feeling your clit, like the actual sensations and the ability to orgasm. So that's another thing, you know, people who may have been able to orgasm before now when they're having sex on SSRIs, they can't orgasm. So it really fucks up your your sex life. You're trading one, you know, evil for For another. another. You really are. I would honestly encourage people to look for some of these alternative solutions we are now seeing so much evidence coming out for psychedelics yeah as an alternative treatment for depression for anxiety for ptsd for a lot of things that ocd for a lot of things that people are taking antidepressants for yeah and they don't come with any of the negative side effects yeah so i know do drugs, I guys. I mean... Well, you're already doing drugs. <laughs> Actually, you're doing drugs every day. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you so could be doing do not mushrooms. drugs. It's mushrooms. It's not even drugs. It's yeah. literally a mushroom. Yeah, you're grows. right. Are you thinking about microdosing? Or are you thinking about doing no, like no. a shaman's dose? Like, No, I'm, I'm talking about doing a, a therapeutic dose, right. which is what you would get at one of the trials that currently exist um, in, yeah. and now many states are becoming, are starting to either legalize different versions of therapy or expand the opportunities for research on, on these things. You know, Colorado and, and Oregon both uh, have now a legal psilocybin uh, therapeutic program going yeah. on. And, yeah, it's a great point. I mean, the other thing that, you know, people do is sort of try to find another SSRI that has fewer of those sexual side effects so you right. can kind of experiment with your psychiatrists as to which one might be a better better solution. But it, it, there's it's not a there's not a really good solution. Yeah. Otherwise. Okay, other side. I'm throwing all my sexuality questions <laughs> okay. at you. Other question. You're going all over the place. All over the place. I want to under... Uh, understand asexuality better mm-hmm. and i sometimes whenever and this is my uneducated response to asexuality is how do you know if that's not just like low libido like i'm coming up against you know i hear people write to me i'm on zola for this many years i don't have a sex drive well what's the difference between that and asexuality yeah it's a good question and i honestly don't think we have a full understanding of asexuality scientifically either yet mm-hmm we're doing research we're finding out more much more now than we've ever known before for sure but the definition of asexuality is not actually related to sex drive is related to attraction for other people so the definition right asexuality is one of the sexual orientations and sexual Mm -hmm. orientation is not about how often you want to have sex with the people who you are attracted to right it's who are you attracted to yeah. And so asexual people are people who don't have sexual or romantic attractions to anyone. Yeah. Now, some asexual folks actually do have a sex drive and they are sexual with themselves. They masturbate. Right. Something like half of, uh, depending on the sample that uh, that's been used in different studies, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent of asexually identified folks masturbate. Mm-hmm. Right. So they do have some hmm level of of libido okay but the question is a good question if you have a very low sex drive then you are not attracted to anyone because you don't 
want to have sex with anyone right. because of your low libido. And so there's definitely an overlap there between the low libido and the lack of um, attraction. And the answer to that is, is this a primary thing or is it because of Zoloft? Like, obviously, if you've been on Zoloft for, for a long time and that is causing the drop in libido, then you're not sort of primarily asexual. Maybe you've become asexual over time right. because you've gotten used to that low level of of sex drive and you're sort of okay with it sure but you were probably not asexual to begin with right we also don't understand to what extent some other factors may lead people to end up identifying as asexuals it's pretty clear that at least some percentage of people identifying as asexual aromantic are are feeling that or doing so because of some sexual trauma that has happened mm-hmm. in their lives or something like that now is that the majority no but there are some people who find themselves there so the asexual group of people is kind of a mix of different different kinds of people the mm-hmm. people who have no sex drive whatsoever people who have some sex drive but just no attraction to other humans yeah people who may have had a sex drive but because of you know something that has happened in their lives whether it's medication or hormones or some other you know physical illnesses or injuries that they may have gone through or trauma of certain kind they've kind of shut down that part of themselves right so yeah it's 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 a mixed crowd but the theoretical definition of what asexuality is is lack of attraction sexual or romantic attraction to other people got it and you use the word aromantic mm-hmm. what and what is that that's lacking romantic attraction to other people so we often talk about sexual orientation and kind of forget about the romantic part of it because i think for a lot of people they think whoever you want to fuck you also want to date Mm. But that's not necessarily true for everyone. Those are two kind of different things which are highly correlated in most people, Uh but they're not the exact same thing. So there are people who are sexually attracted to, say, men, but they are romantically attracted, as in they want to date, have long-term relationships with both men and women. Wow. Yeah. Could you imagine (laughs) if I only wanted to fuck women but date men that's like a hilarious thing to me yeah dating men sucks (laughs) do you know what i mean like that would be a hilarious that would be a hilarious romantic opposite if you have the option i would suggest the opposite fuck the men and date the women (laughs) that would be like such a just unfortunate identity that i'm just like i just want to date guys but i don't want to fuck them they just take you to sports bars and like burp on you (laughs) it'd be terrible that that's truly my romantic identity is that what you would call that then your romantic orientation my romantic orientation yeah Yeah. now everything is a is a spectrum obviously so it's rarely either or it's rarely that someone will say i'm only sexually attracted to women and only romantically attracted to men or vice versa it's usually you know i'm more sexually attracted to men but then women, but I'm more romantically attracted to women than men or something like that. So it's, it's right. a matter of degree yeah. rather than complete kind. Yeah, that's... But really- they're not exactly the same. So, and this is something that actually the asexual movement and activism made more more salient, more kind of relevant to all of us or they kind of educated us on the importance of distinguishing these two because some asexuals are also aromantic, uh-huh. right? So they're not interested in having romantic relationships in a, 
as well as not having sex with other people. Okay. But not all of them. Some of them are asexual, but they are romantic. So they want romantic relationships. They just don't want those romantic relationships to be sexual. So they might identify, for example, as heteroromantic asexual or biromantic asexual or something like that. But so if you're totally aromantic, mm-hmm. you're, are you not saying then I want to fuck people, but I don't want to date? Well, so if- isn't that just men? <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so that's aromantic, but sexual. Aromantic, but sexual. Yes. If you want to fuck people, then you're not asexual. So, but most aromantic people, I would assume, are asexual then, right? I mean, you're because no. you're saying no, because you're saying but I these don't, two are separate. They're right. Separate. The romantic piece is that need for romantic connection and security. Right. Then okay. the sexual piece is its own thing. Yeah. So who? I mean, I want to. Who is identifying as aromantic? Not a lot of people, because yeah. as I said, most people do want that close emotional connection right. with other humans. Right which for most of us includes the romantic piece. Yeah. Uh, but there are some people, there are people who are just very low on that need for romantic connection. Yeah. There are not that many. Yeah. That, that distribution is skewed. Like the novelty, yeah. the sexual novelty the piece curve. is a bell curve. This is not a bell curve. Right. Like most people are in the high end of that spectrum and right. very few people are in the low end of the spectrum, but it does exist. There yeah. are people there. So yeah, if it, Again, unclear, still doing research at some of the research that I'm doing, exactly who and why ends up in that aromantic part of the spectrum. But it's probably for some, it's just kind of part of that normal variation uh, that humans see. For some people, it might be a result of some very avoidant attachment style. Yeah. Or, you know, some other kinds of trauma in in relation to other people so right. you're like i don't i really don't want other people at all yeah for some people it's probably psychopaths would fall under that um as well yeah and i also know a number of uh, autism spectrum uh mm. folks who are aromantic mm. even though they're not asexual right they oh, are sexual so but they're aromantic so yeah it can be a, a number of different reasons why people might find themselves in that low end of that spectrum right that's so interesting. And a lot of the relationship orientations, well, all the relationship orientations are explored in your Open Smarter course. Yes. Tell, yes, tell everyone about your Open Smarter course. <laughs> so the, so cool. Yes. The Open Smarter course is an online course that people can take on their own time. It's a, it's a bunch of videos that they can watch, a bunch of scales, that like psychological surveys that they can take to evaluate themselves, to evaluate their partners that helps them figure out, first of all, what are our options? You know, right. what is the relationship landscape out there that we can choose from? Then figure, then helps them figure out which one of these options is the right one for me, mm-hmm. at least right now, because these things can change for mm-hmm. sure. But mm-hmm. at any given point in time, there is sort of an ideal that's a mix. It's a result of both what is our relationship orientation more broadly and also what are our current circumstances that we find ourselves in at the moment and then the third thing that the course does is help people develop the skills the psychological tools that we need to navigate successfully whichever one of these options we choose because you know somewhat different skills are needed for navigating these different options yeah this is uh i think it's fantastic so thank you so much yes. i have so many more questions but i'll have to have you back this was great dr jana you guys thank, thank you, you so Ellie. Much. this was awesome